Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the Afternoon Show. I'm Bill Arnold. Today, I've got uh, my friend Jeff Redorn in studio. We're going to continue our great study in Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 today. Not to get right to the point, but this, I think, is our sixth episode with plenty more to go because we still have all of the second book to go as well. So there's lots ahead, which I'm looking forward to. Jeff, welcome back to the show. Hi, Bill. So uh, we can make small talk or we can dig in. What, what do you want to do? What, what do you want to talk about? No, nah, I got nothing. Food or nothing? <laughs> yeah. You know, nothing. it's funny, you know, I, I've i read that when somebody becomes a Christian, uh, within a couple of years, the number of really good close friends that they have that aren't saved yeah. diminishes or decreases quite a bit. I'm because, surprised. you know, when you have eternal life and you know the God who created everything, you know, suddenly talking about the weather or something like that just isn't as as important, is it? Mm, not at all. Not at all. So let, let's dig into First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3. How about I start by reading the first two verses? Perfect. All right. So, when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith. So this is interesting. Paul says that he sent Timothy, who went back to Thessalonica. And, but I'd like to point out that we were just looking at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, and in verse 18, Paul says that he desired to go back to see the Thessalonians again, but that Satan blocked our way, verse 18. So I, now I don't have anything for this, by the way. Why, did, why was Paul blocked? or actually he says blocked our way, and yet Timothy was able to get through. And as we're going to see, Timothy actually is going to give a good report back to Paul about what he found in Thessalonica about their faith and that they were standing firm in faith. But uh, I find it interesting that Paul was blocked by Satan, but Timothy was able to get through. Hmm, I don't know. That's all I got. (laughs) I love the way it starts. So when we could stand it no longer... We thought it would be best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Well, remember, you just didn't pick up the cell phone or text no. somebody or, you know, it was communication back then. It was. It was uh, days and days in the making, right? So they yeah. were really wondering about, okay, we're wondering how these guys are doing after we left them. So mm-hmm. so let's, uh, let me read verse three and maybe we can spend a little time on this one because yes. I think this is such an uh, important verse. So verse three, First Thessalonians chapter three, verse three so that no one would be unsettled by these trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. Yes, so Paul was saying that as Christians, we should recognize and know that the trials and the tribulations of this world are going to come to us. We are going to experience them. Now, remember the Thessalonians, we've talked about this a few times, that the Thessalonians were experiencing trials, severe trials, actually. But what they were not experiencing was the tribulation. While Christians will experience trials and and tribulations in this world, 
Christians, as we will see and discuss over the course of this whole study, we will not experience the tribulation that is going to come upon the earth. Now, when I say the tribulation, I mean specifically a seven-year period of judgment that God has called upon the nation of Israel, actually, and upon the world. This is a future seven-year period that is most commonly referred to as the tribulation. But interestingly, it's never called the tribulation in Scripture. Uh, about the best that you can do is that there'll be a great distress, Matthew 24 says, but that's specifically talking about the second half of this seven-year period. So nowhere is this called the tribulation, but everybody calls it the tribulation. Um, this is also called more specifically Daniel's 70th seven or Daniel's 70th week of judgment. So depending on your interpretation or, or your your version of the Bible, we'll either say Daniel 70th 7 or 70 weeks of judgment. Now, what is a 7? Just a quick sidebar here. A 7 in the Old Testament in the Hebrew, it's actually the Hebrew word Shabuah, and it means a 7-year period of time. And we can definitively know that because remember the story of Jacob and he wanted to marry uh Leah, uh, Rachel or Leah? Who did he want to marry? I can't. I'm not he wanted mixing to marry Rachel. He wanted to marry Rachel. Yeah. And but Laban, the father, gave him the older one, Leah, first yep. after working for seven years. And 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 he's going on his wedding night. What what have you done here? Yeah. You've done this old switcheroo thing on me. And he goes, <laughs> Well, we never give away the younger the, the younger one first. If you work another bridal week, another bridal shabua. I'll give you the younger one also. So it says that he worked another seven years. So a Shabuah is a seven-year period of time. So Israel is is by God. This is a judgment that God has proclaimed to Israel in Daniel chapter 9. And in fact, it's one of the most amazing prophecies on all of Scripture. Because in the first 69 sevens, or 483 years, this is math and numbers, so just kind of ignore that. But the big picture here is specifies the time of Christ's first coming, and the final part of the judgment, Daniel's 70th seven or 70th week of judgment, is the final seven-year period immediately preceding Christ's second coming when he returns to earth. This period of time, the seven-year period, is also known as the time of Jacob's trouble from Jeremiah 30, verse 7. He says that there will be no day like this day, It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he, Jacob, Israel, shall be saved out of it, Jeremiah 37. So the bottom line is, is there a seven-year period of judgment that's coming upon Israel and upon the world? This is Daniel's 70th seven of judgment from Daniel chapter 9, and and so— Right away, we need, and we'll talk about this more when we get to the some of the rapture and some of the end time stuff, especially in the next chapter, in Thessalonians chapter 4. But right now, know that while the Thessalonians thought that they were in the tribulation, uh, they thought that the day of the Lord has already started. We'll look at that as well. Um, and the day of the Lord includes the tribulation period and and uh, it really begins the tribulation period, and the Thessalonians thought they were in the tribulation. What they're really experiencing is the trials and tribulations that every Christian will experience. In fact, here Paul says that we are destined for them. Mm-hmm. And Paul nurtured them because they, no doubt, Jeff, needed 
encouragement because of the persecution that was facing them. And I just am prompted to say that if you are in that period right now of some kind of persecution that you're facing, I, I want to encourage you right now. So let me know how I can do that. You can text me what it is you're needing prayer for, 877-933-2484. But don't feel uh, too burdened by what you're feeling persecuted by because you have fellowship and people that love you that can come alongside you. Hmm. Yeah, and if you have other believers in your life, that is exactly some of the one another's in Scripture is that we are to encourage one another, to love one another, to carry each other's burdens. Um, so find other believers to to share these things with, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And of course, that number again is 877-933-2484. If you're feeling persecuted and you need encouragement, let me help you today. 877-933-2484. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our series in First Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3. All right, Jeff. So Jesus even said about our trials in this world. In this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33. John 15, he says, As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Um, but I think it's becoming more and more clear to American Christians that, yes, the world actually does hate us. And remember, they don't hate you. That You're just the messenger. You're just the light bearer of God who they really hate is is God. That's the one that they're truly attacking. So never forget that. Paul also says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. You kind of get the theme here? Mm-hmm. That Christians will be persecuted. I think in America, we have been insulated from the kind of persecution that Christians around the world have experienced over the last 2,000 years because we've lived in a majority Christian nation. Uh, but as the number of people in our in in America uh, that know and follow Christ is decreasing, I think we're going to start seeing more and more of that, even in the United States of America. But here's the lesson, Christian: the more we let our light shine in this dark world, the more the dark world is not going to like your light. Amen. John three says this. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved the darkness because, instead of light, because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God." The more you let your light shine in this world, the more the dark world is not going to like it. That's why Jesus has to remind us, and Paul exhorts us often, to let your light shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Because our tendency is that when this persecution starts coming upon us as we let our light shine, our tendency is to hide our light under that basket. No? Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. All right, we'll take a break. We'll be right back with lots more with Jeff Verdorn. We're studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 today in our series. We're going to get through both 1 and 2 Thessalonians in this study. So 
Make sure you don't miss any of it. You can always check the podcast at MyFaithRadio.com if you missed any of it. Otherwise, don't go anywhere. I'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Arnold. You might be the kind of person that goes to Paris and still listens to Faith Radio on the app. Or you might be more like the person that goes into the next room in your apartment and listens. The good news is, is using the app is just as easy in both places. Downloading the free app is crazy easy. Just text the word app to 877-933-2484 and click the link. And if you happen to be in Paris, there is a really nice little coffee shop not far from the Eiffel Tower that serves a really nice chocolate biscotti. I hope you've had a great day to this point. Thank you for tuning into Faith Radio. I hope that if you just got in your car, I hope you had a good day. I, I just I, I pray that I can be part of your transition period from work to home and that you go home in a little bit better mood, that you go home having learned something from God's Word, feel encouraged, uh, hear good conversation, and be inspired to want to study God's Word more and more on your own, because that's what we want to do is we want to feed, equip, train, disciple, and give you all kinds of tools that can help you go be a wonderful student of God's Word. Now, we're going to continue studying in First Thessalonians chapter 3 with Jeff Verdorn. Now, Jeff, I think I'm going to do some more reading, aren't I? Verses 4 and 5? Yes. All right. Uh, verse 4, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. So Paul's re reiterating to them that they would be persecuted, and he told them this, and he was right, and he once again mentions that he sent Timothy uh, I sent to find out about your faith. That was Timothy. And we'll see his report back in a minute. But he was afraid that the tempter might have tempted them and that all of Paul's labors would have been in vain. So you, you can see Paul's concern for the Thessalonians right away, right? He's definitely got a heart for this this group of Christians who are in Thessalonica. The tempter is Satan, and so his concern was that the tempter, Satan, uh, was going to tempt them in some way. Now, it doesn't describe specifically what this temptation is, but I think the temptation that Paul was talking about is the temptation to shrink back, to not let their light shine, that in the face of persecution, you have a tendency to put that light under that basket. No, and in order to avoid that persecution. So they, his fear was that the te their temptation would not to stand firm in the faith, uh, but to shrink back. This is something, this is a message of Paul's consistently throughout the New Testament, right? He says in Ephesians, stand firm then, 
Don't shrink back. Run the race. Run the race with perseverance. Run in such a way to get the prize. Finish the race. Rejoice in hope. Patient in affliction. Forgetting what lies behind, but pressing forward to what lies ahead. To endure hardship like a good soldier for Christ. This is the tendency that when persecution comes, we Christians are going to stop proclaiming the word of life and letting our light shine before men and being ambassadors to Christ and start acting like the world a little bit more. Does that sound like uh, this week (laughs) in the world? I mean, facing persecution, pulling back, refraining a little bit? Yeah, I mean, what keeps us from being bright lights when we talk to our coworkers, when we're talking with our neighbors yeah. to preach the gospel, to share Christ with people, because, well, I mean, there's lots of reasons, right? Fear. We feel feel ill-equipped. Um, we don't know if we're going to be able to answer their questions. Uh, embarrassment, maybe, and so on. And that's why the New Testament is full of these ex- exhortations to let your light shine, to be my witnesses in all the ends of the earth. Yeah. Be bold. The Holy Spirit will show up for you, give be- you the words you need. Absolutely. So Paul is clearly not worried about the Thessalonians' salvation when he talks about that my labor might be in vain. This has nothing to do with the Thessalonians' salvation. They're secure in Christ. We have assurance of salvation. Once you're born again, you're born again for all of eternity. He's concerned that they are shrinking back. They are withdrawing. And I think this is shown very clearly, this idea of shrinking back withdrawing in the parable of the sower. Now, this parable, the parable of the sower, is in Matthew 13 and also in Luke 8. It's in two places. It's it's, it's virtually identical. There's a few small differences that we won't discuss here, but here's a quick overview. Remember, there's four seeds, right? We have the seed, which is the Word of God, and we have four different soils, which are men's hearts or men or people. The first seed falls on a path, but the parable says that a bird comes and eats it, and so it never germinates, and there's no new life. There's no plant from that seed. And the interpretation of that is that Satan comes and steals the seed, and so there's no germination, no salvation. But the second and third, the second is the seed, the Word of God, falls onto somebody's heart. It does go into the soil, and there is germination, There is this new plant from this dead seed. And I think that represents someone being saved. Now, this person isn't fruitful because the parable goes on to say that it's scorched and it's withered. And it says in the interpretation that when persecution comes, it falls away. Okay, hold on to that description for a second because we're going to come back to that. It falls away. Some believe that's a loss of salvation. As we just described, I don't think you can lose your salvation. So we're going to look at an alternative understanding of that falling away, what that means. The third seed falls among the thorns. It grows up. Once again, there's germination. The seed is growing. There's new life from this dead seed. I think the person is saved. But it says the worries of life are choking it out. And then, of course, the fourth seed falls on good soil, grows up to be a very healthy plant, and produces a crop 30, 60, and 100-fold. Well, clearly God wants us to be that fourth seed. Once we're saved, he wants us to be fruitful in this life. I actually think the second and the third seed 
are saved. Not only I think they represent the saved, I think that's much of the people in the church, that they're truly saved, but they're not fruitful. They're scorched. They're choked out by the cares of this world, and and they need care and feeding and watering so that they grow up to become fruitful, fruitful Christians. Remember, we are saved by simple faith, not by our fruit. Once you're saved, God wants us to bear fruit. Big distinction. Mm -hmm. And Jeff, I don't want to, of course, add anything to Scripture or even suggest it, but in this parable, it'd be kind of cool if it would have said, and and then the fourth soil, the seed fell in good soil. And then if it would have said, and despite the scorching heat and the things that would crowd out life, it still produced a hundredfold. Good point. Because even in this world, even though we will, are destined for trials and persecution and scorching and weeds and the world, God still calls us to bear much fruit. Exactly. All right. So, the rocky soil. So, look look back at this rocky soil. The second seed is sown on rocky ground, but since it has no root, the parable says, it remains for only a season when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Now, I think the proper understanding of this falling away, if we look at the Greek word for falls away, it's epistemy. And it doesn't mean a loss of salvation, it means to shrink back, to withdraw, to draw away. It's a believer not letting their light shine. It's a believer not standing firm on faith. It's a believer shrinking back from the world because they're experiencing persecution. Say you go to a Billy Graham event, uh, and uh, maybe I should use a more contemporary person, but he's still on TV and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you see Billy Graham, you hear the gospel, you're saved, you go into work the next day and you start telling all your coworkers and they start saying, oh, you don't believe that nonsense, do you? Do you believe all those fairy tales? Are you kidding me? You know, I religion thought you were, is... I thought you were smarter than that. I thought you were smarter than <laughs> yeah. that. You know, as our one of our ex-governors used to say, uh, Christianity is for weak-minded people. Yeah, it's crutches. Uh, yeah, right. The crutches. Absolutely. You know yeah. what quote I'm talking about. I know what quote you're talking about. Um, and so what do you do? Well, maybe tomorrow you don't talk about your newfound faith. Maybe the next week you don't share with people what you're learning and, and this new life that you're experiencing and what you're now learning in the Word of God. You shrink back. You withdraw. Look, it's a tendency for all of us. We don't we don't want to be persecuted because of righteousness, right? And But God says that you will be, and everyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted in this world. Mm. All right, Jeff. Jeff Redorn is my guest. We're continuing our study in First Thessalonians, and then after first, we're going to go to second. That's what we're going to do. That's our plan. <laughs> we're going to study the whole book, um, First and Second Thessalonians. But in the meantime, we're going to take a short break because I guess that's what we do on radio is... Step aside just for a minute or a 90 seconds, and we're going to come back and continue our study. So if you just joined us, uh, you're going to want to hear this from the beginning because this is in uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. And we want to make sure also that you're getting the verse of the day. If you've not signed up for that, I think that's a good idea to do that. You can practice spending time in God's presence with the faith radio verse of the day. Email features this really beautiful scripture graphic and it's sent 
right to your inbox, and you can do that by signing up at myfaithradio.com. That's myfaithradio.com. And you can also get the app if you don't have it for your phone. Pretty neat. Text the word app to 877-933-2484. Be right back. Thank you for encouraging me. I get notes and letters. I got one today from Steve, and it was so encouraging. So thank you for that. That means a lot to all of us, whether you send one to me or Carmen or Susie. It, it really it gets our attention, and we really appreciate it. So thank you for that. My guest is Jeff Verdorn. We're in First Thessalonians, our study, in Chapter 3 today. And Jeff, as you were talking about the four different soils, which represents a man's heart or a person's heart, and the seed goes into the first, uh, second, and third soil, one gets scorched by heat, although the plant germinates, and the other one gets crowded out by the worries of life, uh, but there's life there as well. Uh, there's some people that are going to argue that that is not uh, a, a picture of a saved person in soil two and soil three. So there's very there's varying opinions on that. There are, like many passages in scripture, especially many parables, uh, there are different interpretations. I, I would probably say that it's more common uh, by a certain percentage to, to have people see the second and third as not being saved than being saved. Uh, that's why I like to teach on that parable because I think they are saved, and they're just not bearing fruit like God calls us to do. Remember, we are saved by faith, not by fruit. So some say that, well, if they don't have any fruit, and where there's no fruit, there is no root. But Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, which is one of these great passages that say, says we're saved by simple faith, not by works, right, is 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 the is the criteria for being first being saved for salvation if you believe then you are saved then after you're saved Ephesians verse 10 says created in Christ Jesus to do good works so once you're saved God wants you to be fruitful mm-hmm. that's what the vine and the branches are all about abide in me and you will bear much fruit if you're growing like that oak tree who's planted beside the stream and it grows firm and established and fruitful and productive. God wants you to be there. But never forget, you're saved by simple faith. Nicely done, Jeff Dorn. All right. Verse we, 6. Verse 6. Uh, we're in First Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6. And the reader is me. But Timothy has just come to us from you and brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us and that you long to see us just as we also long to see you. That's well, a pretty nice exchange, isn't it? It really is. I mean, Timothy obviously got through, uh, even though Satan was blocking Paul's way, Timothy got through somehow and has now is back. 
and is giving a very good report of what he found in the church in Thessalonica. And um, boy, it is really good news. They had not shrunk back. They had not withdrawn. They had not hid their light under the basket. They are letting it shine before men. And so uh, I can imagine Paul, who had such concern for the Thessalonians, was very encouraged by Timothy's report. Mm-hmm. All right. How about 7 through 10 now? 7 through 10. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now, we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Oh, what a to be praised by Paul for standing <laughs> firm in the Lord. That feels pretty good. Oh, wouldn't it though? Yep. I mean, here's a guy. I mean, this is this is like no greater compliment than to have Paul say that about you. He says, you know, he's Paul was the one who said to the Corinthians, "My dear brothers, stand firm, let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully." to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, the, yeah. the Corinthians were not doing it as well. Yeah. Uh, but he tells them, stand firm. I would take that over any of my bowling trophies. <laughs> Are you a bowler? No, I don't know. No, you don't have any. <laughs> Ephesians 6, Paul says, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, the breastplate of righteousness, the rest of the armor of God stuff. He says, stand firm then. This is a common theme of Paul to stand firm. To the Philippians, he said, my brothers, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. Uh, Which way? Well, if you go back and read Philippians chapter three and four, it's two great chapters about living by faith, about being thankful, about being content, about casting your cares upon the Lord. And the Philippians were standing firm, and he says, stand firm them in this way. To the Colossians, he says, we always wrestle in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all of the will of God, mature and fully assured. So this is a common theme that Paul exhorted the churches that he was dealing with. One, we see him praying for church after church after church, don't we? Mm-hmm. We see his care and his concern for these churches as well. And then, of course, his teaching, uh, and, and, and obviously all of his writings of the New Testament, but specifically this exhortation to stand firm in the Lord. And by the way, Paul was a great example of someone who did stand firm to the end. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I have kept the faith. Did Paul stand firm to the end? And the answer is yes, he did. Mm, I think that'd be a good show segment. Standing firm. That'd be a good show segment. That would. A you half could, hour on standing firm. That'd just be a great source of encouragement. You you could, because it, as we just read, I mean, almost every church that he writes to, he talks about this theme about yeah, standing, standing firm. standing firm, how important that is and how encouraging that is. It is. Yeah. Now, notice... Paul, none of these did we get the sense that he is concerned with any of their salvation, about keeping your salvation. In fact, in this last passage that we read in in Colossians, he said, mature and fully assured, fully assured of our salvation. It's, it's, It's about living 
out this Christian walk. We know we're saved, but now God has called us to live holy, to live set apart, to to be light in this world, to preach the word, to contend for the faith, to fight the good fight, to 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 let your light shine before men, to not shrink back and withdraw. And I, you know, I see a trend in this church as our country is um how do I say this? Is getting darker, maybe is the best way to put it, that the number of believing born-again Christians is is shrinking. I saw a, a worldview report the other day uh, that was uh, astonishing. The percentage of people um, who believe in God, who believe that the Bible is true, who have faith, uh, it's just dramatically shrinking in this country. So we are going to see more and more of this. But I, I hear some Christians talk, well, let's just all go buy an island someplace, right, and mm-hmm. separate ourselves from the world. I don't think that is what God has called us to do. We are separated from the world. We're in the world, but not of the world. But God calls us to be in the world. I I, I refer to this idea as kind of the Jonah complex. We know all know the story of Jonah. God tells Jonah, go over here to Nineveh and preach me to these people. They need me. And he says, no, judge them, God. I'm going to go the other way. And what happens? He ends up in in the belly of a huge fish and uh, for three days and kind of learns his lesson. And he goes off to Nineveh to preach the word of God. And and, and I'm, I'm speaking to myself here as well. But I don't want to have a Jonah complex. Mm-hmm. I never want to say, oh, Lord, just judge those people over there. Or, you know, those people over there, I think they're a threat and just judge them, Lord. Or those people over there, they're different and just judge them. And they're the world. And, and you know, they, that part of the world over there, you know, they're teaching so many things that I don't agree with. And I just need to separate myself from these people. Spiritually, yes. Right? In truth, Yes, but we never want to be like Jonah. Mm-hmm. We are in the world. Today is the day of salvation, not the day of judgment. Jeff, um, I even sometimes am reluctant. I don't even like the word culture because I think it it almost categorizes people. It's like, well, are you saying I'm part of a culture? I'm a person, right? So I want to be interacting with people as individuals who are lost and in need of a savior. I don't want people to think that they're just clumped into some category called culture. Yeah, anybody who doesn't know Christ um, has has this in common, right? They are still dead in their trespasses and sins. They're being held captive by an enemy, and they have a sickness, a disease. And you know what? We know the cure. Yes. We have the key. Yep. We know who's the key bearer. And, and it's like the world is drowning in a sea and we're, we have a life preserver that we can offer them in the person of Jesus Christ, yeah. right? And um, so I, I never want to wish, and, and like you said, every single person on the face of the earth is made in the image of God and is loved by God, and Christ died for them as much as he died for us who believe. Mm-hmm. So yeah. first, one last line real yeah. quick on this kind of theme, and then we'll get to verse 11. I don't think first century Christians, this is actually a, a commentator, said this. They never lamented over what the world is coming to. They proclaimed who 
has come into the world. I love that. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's really good. That's another good tidbit. All right. Verse 11. You want to read it? Yes, of course I do. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. That's beautiful. It is. um, That was Paul's heart. That was Paul's prayer. We actually saw this a couple verses ago where he says that he wanted to return to them and see them again. And here he's clearly saying he's praying that this is this will be the case that he would be able to come to to the Thessalonians once again. But history says that Paul never did return to the Thessalonians. Um, this prayer of Paul's was never answered by God. He did not return. Um, you know, it's kind of like, well, what do you think of that? Paul, the, probably one of the most righteous men who ever lived, uh, except for Christ himself, obviously, he didn't have an, an answered prayer, or the answer was even no. Uh, we actually see this also in Second Corinthians 12, where Paul prayed for this thorn in his flesh, right? Now, he says he prayed three times for God to remove this messenger from Satan that was sent we don't know what Paul's thorn is. There's lots of ideas, but we just don't know. Some say that it was potentially a person who was tormenting Paul. Others say no. Because of the language of thorn in the flesh, they believe it was a physical ailment of some sort. Uh, Paul's eyesight in some of his letters is clearly failing. Some believe that maybe it was his failing eyesight that was the thorn in his flesh. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, I, th- I think God has purposely not defined what this thorn is so that we can relate to Paul in our own thorn in our flesh. I agree. But Paul prayed and prayed and prayed, and yet God never took it away. And you wonder how long he prayed and prayed and prayed, and then when he stopped praying and praying. Well, he's the one who prayed without ceasing. Okay. And we just heard that he uh, prayed for the Thessalonians and the Colossians and the Philippians, and mm-hmm. he says, I pray for you continually, he said. We yeah. just read one of those verses. I think but I was I was thinking more of the thorn in his flesh. Oh, specifically? Yeah, specifically well, he that. says three times. Yeah, so I don't know, you know. <laughs> I've often <laughs> I've actually often wondered about this. I have some thorns in my flesh over the years that I know I've prayed a lot more than 3 times about, right? Yeah. It's like did he give up too soon? I I don't know, you know. But we we know that Paul learns from the no from God. And what does he learn? He learns that God's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in his weakness. So obviously this thorn made him weak in some way. Uh, That's why I tend to think it was a physical ailment, by Mm -hmm. the way. All right. Let me take a break, Jeff, if you don't mind. We'll be right back with Jeff Redorn as we're studying 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 3. If you've missed any of this, I always recommend going to the podcast, checking it out, myfaithradio.com. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com.
All right, we're back with Jeff Verdorn, studying 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. Jeff, let's talk a little bit before moving on about unanswered prayer. Yeah, so we were talking about Paul, and we've actually seen now he has two prayers in Scripture that weren't answered by God. He didn't return to Thessalonica, and the thorn in the flesh was not taken away. And so we really have a case where God said no, or at least didn't answer it the way Paul wanted it to be answered. And I think about Christians, all of us, all of us, all who are believers, and all the things we pray for, do we have prayers that God has said no, or or they didn't come true, or they didn't happen? Have you prayed for a loved one to come to faith? Yes. Who didn't? Yes. Um, yes. Have you have you prayed for healing, physical healing of someone you knew or love who wasn't healed? Yes. And and for your own thorn, have you prayed for your own thorn that you still are dealing with or are still in your life? And and if you have, and you've just said yes to any of those, you're in good company, right? Paul, you're in the same company of God, with Paul. You know, I've been studying and teaching scripture for 30 years now, and, and I do not have a good answer. I mean, a real good, quick kind of, you know, headline news answer of why God says no. He says he sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous and causes evil on the, on the good and the bad. Good and bad happen to good and bad. Bad stuff happens even to believers, whether it be trials and tribulations or persecution. Bad stuff happens, and good stuff happens. And to unbelievers, bad stuff happens, and good stuff happens happens. Sometimes God does answer these prayers miraculously. Have you ever prayed with somebody or for somebody for physical healing that actually was healed? And and I know many people that have said, I think my healing was a miracle of God and an answered prayer. So he can. And so why does he answer some yes and other prayers no, I, I don't have an easy answer for this one. I don't think one exists, um, Jeff. When you think of everyone listening knows I've had prayers that have been answered and prayers that have not. Mm-hmm. Try to explain why. I, I think you can rest in the sovereignty of God and say, his will, not mine. And if I'm, if I'm in this uh, dance with God and I'm trusting him, I'm going to get answers that I don't like. I know it, and that's where this great promise of God comes in. And that's Romans 8.28. And we all know this verse. And we know that in all things, God works for good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. He's working all things. And all means? All. All. Mm-hmm. God is working all things for good. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that God has a plan? He's working all things for good. His will will be done in the end. Despite 8 billion little wills running around in this world, one day his will will be done. And we know this great promise. Some will teach that this is not the most comforting verse when people are feels, you know, experiencing trials and tribulations. And I understand what they're saying, but I think it's one of the great promises of God that whatever you're going through, you can trust God and know that he is working 
all things for good. Again, my grandmother, she's passed now. Um, was my it's my dad's parents, Corny and Gwen were their names. Corny, Corny, yeah, and Gwen. Corny and Gwen. I love it. Great names, huh? What'd Cornelius you... was his full oh, name. Cornelius yeah. and Gwen. What did you call him? Corny and Gwen, Grandpa and Grandma. Grandpa and Grandma. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, <laughs> uh, Grandpa was a believer, and uh, my dad and his sister Barb was a TWA flight attendant and uh, believed knew knew the Lord, but Gwen, my grandmother, did not. And on November twentieth. 1967, Barb, my aunt, my dad's sister, was on flight 128 TWA. It was a Corvair 880 flying out of Los Angeles to Cincinnati. And on approach to Cincinnati, the glide slope lights and the approach lights were having issues, and there was some fog. And the plane, just inside two miles before the runway, hit some trees, was too low, and hit the ground, crashed, and came to rest in a wooded area about a mile short of the runway. Out of the 82 passengers, 70 died. There were 12 survivors, but my aunt was working in the front of the plane. She was working first class, and she was one of those, those that, that died, that perished in, in the plane crash. And my grandparents and, and my dad were obviously devastated uh, by this news, but, but Gwen, my grandmother, being an unbeliever, um, took it the hardest, I think. Well, her local pastor of the church that the family attended, even though that she was not a believer, met with Gwen over the next several months. And during that process, Gwen believed Mm. and was saved. And, you know, I got to speak at Gwen's funeral. And I've been to believers' funerals and I've been to unbelievers' funerals, and they're two different things. And at her funeral, we were able to talk with assurance that Gwen was now in heaven. But God used the events of her losing her daughter, I think, to bring help bring Gwen to faith. God works all things for good. Mm. Totally heartbreaking. And Jeff, I'm sorry about that. And sorry for your, your dad and your family. And the circumstances are painful to hear. Yet, God did work something amazing out of that. He does, and I think that, isn't that the promise of Romans 8.28? I believe it is. And, and Paul also describes, in what I love this passage, he says, our light and momentary troubles. Now, look, death of a child does not seem light and momentary at the time, right? Never. What Paul is describing is in compared to eternity and the glory and the riches that we will experience once we are with God, with Christ for all of eternity in this new heaven and new earth and new Jerusalem, compared to that, anything that happens in this world, Paul says, is light and momentary compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord and knowing that we have an inheritance one day and that new heaven new earth, the new Jerusalem, the streets of gold, and it says, and God will dwell with man. That's the hope that we have. Mm. So what is this life? It's a vapor in the wind, Scripture says, compared to eternal life. You know, 
I often teach, we have eternal life. Eternal life is a really big deal. We should be sharing this with as many people as we possibly can because living eternally, it's a pretty big deal. Mm. When I hear stories on the news of people passing who lived lives hostile to the gospel because they made themselves well-known that they were anti-God and when you when you hear and read about them passing, I have this wave of dread, this mm. feeling of sadness. And there are people I don't even know, but I know what their eternal destiny is. And it makes me panicky and it creates a sense of urgency that I can't wait to get back to work and be in front of this microphone to tell people about this, the saving power of Jesus Christ and that you can place your faith in him today be saved. You know, there's several parables in Matthew that describe the separation of the righteous from the unrighteous. And there's a common phrase in several of these parables that says, and depart from me, uh, away from me, you evildoers, and go where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. Mm-hmm. It's such a powerful phrase yeah, to describe what the lost are going to experience when they die. They go to Hades, and they're going to to exp- to understand for the first time. Oh, I didn't believe in the one who is was offering eternal life to me. Yeah. And now there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a lot of people today, Jeff, that don't like that language. They think you're being mean and you're not being nice. Yeah, it's true. The world has a disease. It's called sin and death. Mm -hmm. Uh, But God has given us a cure, and it's called salvation through faith in Christ. The best news ever. (laughs) Somebody should call it good news, right? It is. I think it is. I think it is good news. We didn't invent that today either. No. For the record. All right, Jeff, thank you again for taking us on this adventure through First and Second Thessalonians. Jeff Verdorn's been my guest. And that is what we have for our show today. Thank you for listening to as much of the show as you could today. I hope you listened to all of it. And if you missed it, I hope you go to the podcast because you can check it out there. Most of all, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting me and Faith Radio. And just so you know, that means a whole lot to us and to me. So thanks. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.